Likutei Sichos, Chelik Yud, Volume 10, the second Sicha for Parshas Vayetze. This is a very unique Sicha, as it is actually a combination of a Sicha and a Mimer that the Rebbe said on this topic, on the same Shabbos. This is a Rashi Sicha, and we will learn, revisit several rules in Rashi. Number one, how Rashi, although he is exclusively only the Pshat, but sometimes Rashi also brings from a Medrish or from a Gemara, and it's obvious that when he does so, it is essential to the Pshat, to understanding the Pshutei Mikra. Another thing, we'll also see how every expression in Rashi, even the style in which he chooses to quote from his source, is also essential to his pirish and really brings it out in a clearer manner. At the end of the Sicha, we'll also see an amazing explanation according to Chassidus and even how it's understood on a deeper level from the words of Rashi and Rashi's choice of explanation. And this will be uh, surrounding the topic, the idea of names. You know, what is a name of a person? And then finally, at the end of the Sicha, the Rebbe also will connect it to the uh, Tess and Yud Kislev celebration uh, of the Mitle Rebbe, which is typically uh, always in, within the week in which we read, in which we learn, Parshas Vayetze. So this sikh is on the Pasik Vatahar Leo Vatelet Bain, the Leo gave birth to a son, the very first son, Vatikra Shemoy Reuven. She called his name Reuven, Ki Omrako, she said, Ki Ra Hashem Be'oni, Hashem has seen my affliction. Leah felt that she wasn't so loved by Yaakov, especially in contrast to her sister Leah, to Rachel. And she concluded, Ki ata yehevani ishi, because now my husband will love, will love me, and therefore she called his name Reuven. So Rashi quotes the words, Vatikra shemoy Reuven, and he explains, Rabbi Seinu Pirshu, our Chachamim explained that she said, See, the difference between my son and the son of my father-in-law, referring to Esau. He sold his Bechayra to Yaakov. He sold his firstborn rights to Yaakov, whereas my son did not sell it to Yosef. Moreover, he did not raise any protest on the fact that Yosef got a Bechayra. And not only did he not protest, but when it came down to it, he was there to try to save Yosef's life and try to pull him out of the pit when his brothers wanted to take away his life. That's what Rashi explains. So the Rebbe asks two, two major questions. Number one, Rashi himself states, Rashi himself underscores the fact that Ani loibasi that my whole purpose is exclusively to explain the pshat of the Pasuk. And the question is, what needs to be explained here? Why do we even need this Rashi? The, the Pasuk itself seems to tell us clearly the reason why she called him Reuven. What more do we need? Number two, meaning moreover, Rashi explains that the reason for why she called him Reuven is because... The contrast between my son, Reuven, see my son, see the difference between my son and my father-in-law's son, and so on. 
that seems to go against what the Pasuk clearly says. The Pasuk gave us a reason. In other words, it seems to contradict the Pshut Mikra. Although, you can argue, yeah, but well, Rashi has a source for it. This comes from the Gemara. But we know that Rashi himself tells us that he does not quote other sources. He does not venture out to quote a Medrash or a Gemara unless it's absolutely essential to Pshut Mikra. What, and, and helps or enhances Pshutish Mikra. How does that the case here? Why is it necessary? Now, there are some Beforeshim that explain that what prompted Rashi to do this, why it's necessary to look for another explanation or an added explanation into why she called him Reuven, because if you look at the name Reuven, all that's explained in the Pasik accounts for, explains only a part of the name, the part that says Reu. See, okay, that means like, you know, Yaakov will see that she had a son and therefore, you know, he will love her better. But it doesn't explain the second part of the name, Bain, the Bays and the Nun. Okay, that's what some Mepharshim explained. However, this cannot be the reason that prompted Rashi, says the Rebbe. The Rebbe disagrees with that reason. Why? Because according to Pshutish Mikra, there is a way to understand what the Bays and the Nun represent, even if one is looking for it. Namely, the word Be'oni, in my affliction, there is a Bays and a Nun in that word. In other words, it's a partial representation of the actual reason that, 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 that she's quoting for why she is happy about having the having this son. And even if we should argue, but it's missing the other letters, so we already have a precedent for this, in an earlier Rashi, in Parshas Bereshis, where Rashi explains the reason for why the heavens are called Shamayim, Rashi says, because it's Eish and Mayim. Although over there, the Aleph is not represented. Not only the Aleph is not represented, but the Shin in the word Shamayim has a totally different vowel than that in the word Eish. And yet, it is fine. It is enough. It suffices of Pshutish Shemikra that Asian Mayim becomes Shamayim. So therefore here too, if that was the actual cause, if that was the actual reason that prompted Rashi to explain it, to look for a deeper, for a deeper explanation, then Reuven should make sense according to Pshutish Shemikra. Then the Rebbe goes on to more questions. Number one, what is the reason she gave? What is the reason that she said? She said, look at the difference between my son and my father-in-law's son, right? That he sold the Bechayda, right? My father-in-law's son sold the Bechayda, and my son, in the contrast, my son did not, and moreover, that he does, didn't even protest when it was taken away from him. Number one, the Rebbe asks, this is something that's going to happen in a very distant future. And therefore, it's like a distant, distant prophecy. Actually, when did this happen? Just for clarity. This is when the story of Bilah occurred. This is many, many, many years from this, uh, from, from this time that we're in right now when he's actually being born. This is many years later when Rachel passes away and Reuven committed what he, the sin that he committed and Yaakov took away his Bechair and gave it to Yosef. That's in a very distant future. Why would she quote something like that? Moreover, why would she pick something 
which is actually a derogatory depiction, a derogatory representation of Reuven's life. Why would she pick this to highlight his greatness? Why didn't she just say, if she was trying to contrast him against Esau, her father-in-law's firstborn, why didn't she just say Esau was a ganif? Esau was out there stealing and robbing people, whereas my son, he's not going to steal from people, as we know the story, when he found the Dudaim, and he didn't. He only took something that was hefker and free for all. Why didn't she use something more positive? Then, the Rebbe adds another question. If we look closely, and you actually read the Gemara, Rashi's source, over there, the Gemara doesn't really emphasize the contrast between Reuven and Esau as to how the Gebechoyde was given up, how the firstborn right was, 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 was lost. The Gemara doesn't really go into the fact that Esau sold it, whereas Reuven didn't give it up. The Gemara goes actually into the fact, it makes a distinction that, that, um, that Esau hated Yaakov, whereas Reuven didn't hate Yaakov. Rashi seems to emphasize that the contrast is that Reuven did not give it up, whereas Esau did give it up. Okay? And the third question, that if Rashi is already pointing out that Reuven did not, uh, that Reuven was not Me'arer, Reuven did not contest. Reuven did not raise any objection. When Yaakov took away his Bechayra, why didn't he complete that by contrasting that the Esau did contest, that Esau was angry about it? He doesn't mention that. He just leaves that out. He just mentions the fact that Reuven did not contest the fact that Yaakov took away his Bechayra. So the Rebbe says, to answer all these questions, the Rebbe gives us a clarity into the whole matter here. And the Rebbe explains as follows. That in truth, the fact that Leah is having a son now, and that she is hopeful that this fact will now change her status with her husband, meaning that it will make her husband love her more, and be more affectionate and feel closer to her, that in general, I underscore, in general, is true. When a woman has a child, that in general brings a certain closeness and a certain appreciation and affection from the husband to the wife. However, in this case, in particular, that would not suffice. And that would not really be an absolute cause for Leah to really be hopeful that Yaakov will actually love her more. Why? Because recall that what is the issue here at hand? What is the matter what is the reason that Leah feels that Yaakov feels a certain greater closeness to Rachel over her? Because Rachel, in fact, did like Rachel more. And Yaakov, in fact, did intend to marry Rachel and have his Bechur with Rachel. So therefore, the fact that she's having the son now is not enough. Is not enough to actually clinch this, so to speak, to make it that Yaakov should love her, while Yaakov is still hopeful to have a son from Rachel. So it cannot just be the, fa- the mere fact, as it appears in the Pasuk, oh, because I gave birth to a son for him. That in itself, Rashi understands, in Pshut Mikra is not enough to have convinced Leah that now she will be loved. Now she will be loved over Rachel. While Rachel is still there, so to speak, as a contender, as a, as, as a competition, in Yaakov's mind, Yaakov wants Rachel to have the son. 
That's number one. And number two, just the mere fact that she gave birth to a son, to a firstborn son, is not enough to turn around Yaakov's love towards her. Why not? Because there's already a certain... uh, there's already a certain pattern, so to speak, in this family. Yaakov's father had also a firstborn. That guy didn't turn out too well. Yaakov's grandfather had a firstborn who also didn't turn out too well, right? Both Yishmuel and Esav didn't bring exceptional amount of nachas, to say the least, to their parents. And therefore, just the mere fact that she gave birth to the first firstborn Rashi understands him, Shudish Mikra cannot be enough of a reason for her to become now convinced that Yaakov will now love her. And therefore Rashi explains, and he brings from the Gemara. Therefore Rashi brings from the Medrash that there was more to what, Rifko, to what um, Leah was saying, more than just the words that appear in the, in, in the Pasuk itself clearly. In other words, Rashi says it's essential for Pshutish and Mikra to understand that there was a lot more to this thinking than just the words that appear in the Pasuk. And that's why she says, the, it, it's, it's almost as if the Pasuk itself is calling out. The Pshutish and Mikra itself is demanding a drash. The Pshutish and Mikra itself demands a, 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 an expansion of what actually says in the Pasuk. And therefore... She, she brings the point. Therefore, Rashi doesn't even quote the whole Gemara and everything exactly the way it appears in the Gemara. Therefore, Rashi says that he did not sell it. Whereas his uncle, the firstborn of Yitzchak, did sell it. Why does Rashi highlight this point versus the other points that the Gemara says? Or that this point the Gemara doesn't even really say? Because the, this is the whole point. What Leah is saying is, look here, I now gave birth to the first son. To him, this is going to be an extremely important thing. He is the first son of Yaakov. The Bechayrahut, the firstbornhood, is going to be something of great value to Uven, which he will never willingly give up. He will never sell it. In contrast to Esau, who just gave it up. He didn't care. It didn't mean anything to him. He just gave it up so, so callously. My son will never give it up. He will not sell it for anything. And yet, although he will not sell it for anything, although this means so much to him, but when it comes to it and Yaakov takes it away from him for whatever reason, and Yaakov gives it and transfers it to another son, to Yosef, to the firstborn of Rachel, even so, he will not protest. Even so, he will not raise any any, any any contest to it. He will not make a big deal out of it. And not only that, but furthermore, he is going to try and save Yosef, although his Bechayda was taken away from him, something that's so precious to him and giving to Yosef. With this, she was emphasizing of how special the son is and how much the son should be loved, how much the son should bring her love from Yaakov because this son is so special, the fact that he's being born now, and that he is going to cherish the fact that he was born first, and even and again I repeat, even though he will lose that right later on, yet he will still not lose his character, he will still not lose his edelkeit, his refinement, and this is the reason that he's a cause of tremendous nachas to Yaakov, and therefore Yaakov should love him now. 
And this also can help and explain why she didn't contrast the fact that he will not protest to contrast it with the fact that Esau did protest. Because she was not, her objective here was not to show how Reuven is better than Esau, how Reuven contrasts Esau per se, but rather her point was to, to, to bring out, to highlight how great Reuven is and how much the Bechayda means to him and yet what kind of a man she is, he is and what kind of man she's going to be even when he loses the Bechayda. And with this we can also understand another very interesting nuance in Rashi. Typically when Rashi quotes Chazal, he says, Omru Rabbi Seinu. Our sages said, over here he doesn't use that expression. He says, Rabbi Seinu Pirshu. Our rabbis, our sages explained. What's the difference? The difference is if you say, Omru Rabbi Seinu, it's almost like saying you can't understand the Pasuk as it is. You cannot take it, so to speak, at face value, you need to have what the sages say. They change the appearance, so to speak. Over here, however, what Rashi really did, and this really, so to speak, galvanizes what the Rebbe is explaining in Rashi. He doesn't change the Pasuk. He doesn't take away from the reason that's brought in the Pasuk. He rather expounds it and explains how Rivka was convinced. This is an explanation. How she was so convinced that this will actually help her clinch the love that she's looking for from Yaakov. And with this, the Rebbe goes over to Yeno Shaltera. You know, in Rebbe Rashi, there is the wine, there is the deeper secrets in the Rashi. And in order to get to there, the Rebbe brings from Chassidus, and I'll try to do justice to it, in short. And the Rebbe explains that if we actually look at a very interesting phenomena, which in this Parsha plays out very much, we'll see an interesting contrast between the names of the Avais, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and the names of all the Shvatim. Number one, the names of the Shvatim were given by their mothers, all of them. The names of the Avais, the Pasuk doesn't even clearly say who gave the name. It's hinted sometimes that Hashem gave the name, or we see by Avram, Hashem told him to give Yitz, to call Yitzchak Yitzchak, but it wasn't even given, for certainly not by the mothers, maybe not even by the fathers, it was already decided by Hashem himself. By the Shvatim, it was the mothers who gave the name. Another thing, by the Avais, it doesn't always explicitly explain, it doesn't explicitly say the reason for the name. It is definitely implied, but it, the Pasuk doesn't make a point to say, quote, Al shame, therefore she called him Ruvim. But in the case of the Shvatim, it always says it as a reason. For example, here it says she called him Ruvim because she said such and such. Interesting, you know, contrast between the two. What, is, what does this bring out? What does this really mean? So the Rebbe says to understand this, we first need to understand the idea of a name. In general, what is a name? A name, as explained to the name of a person, the name of a thing, actually connects and brings out the essence of the thing. It, 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 it brings out the essence of that particular thing. For example, the Alter Rebbe says, makes a statement, that an Ishama, before it connects to a body, it doesn't have a name. It doesn't need a name. It's only the neshama as it comes into the body has a name. But even there, there's almost like, there's two aspects to the name. You have the general aspect and then you have the particular aspect. When neshama connects to a body, 
you have in general, this now is called an Adam, a human being. That's a very general name. It's an essential thing. It's a life. It's a live human being. But then you have the particular name, that particular person, which really brings out the relationship of that neshama in, and that goof, that soul and that body, and as it will function, its characteristics and so on and so forth throughout its life. So, going back to the Avais versus the Shvatim, the Avais in general, they are generally connected to every single Yid. The Avais, it's like a general name. Where do we see it? We see it in our day-to-day davening. Every time we daven, we say, Elikeinu, Elikei Aviseinu, Elikei Avram, Elikei Yitzchak, Yaakov. We never mention Elikei Avruvein, Elikei Shimon, Elikei Levi. Why not? Because the idea behind it, as explained in Chassidus, is that the three Aves, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, are dominant in the essence of every single Yid. Every single Yid is connected to the Aves. Every single Yid has the aspect of the Aves, regardless of who the Yid is, from the greatest Jew to the simplest Jew. However, in the particular Avoid of every Jew, in other words, in the particular expression, in the character of every Jew, everyone's different. Every Jew is different. Where do you see that? One Yid is more like Reuven, one Yid has the aspect of Shimon, and so on. In other words, if we would compare this in general, to the relationship of a child to the father or mother. The father is like a very, very general, very deep, essential connection to the child. But where is the true development of the child, the true character of the child that comes out? That only happens by the process of pregnancy, going through the mother and and, and being developed within the mother's womb, and that's when a whole functioning child and later a person comes out. And that's why indeed you find that in many ways, there's a stronger bond between a child and the mother because his actual development came from the mother. Thus, when it comes to the Shvatim, which is, like we said, the particular expression of characteristic, the particular, so to speak, details of every given person, and in this case, beginning with the Shvatim, that expression is, so to speak, a developed one. That is already a developed characteristic that comes from the mother. And that has a particular reason because it connects to that particular expression. That, that this particular shavit is called by this name and therefore the person who carries that characteristic has that particular name, so to speak. And that is something which comes more from the feminine aspect. And this can also help us understand something and why Rashi has to go into the whole explanation on Reuven's name. You see, there's a very, very general question that can be asked here. Really? The Imahis called their sons, the, 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 the Leah and Rachel, called their children in accordance with that child's particular characteristic to express their personality? Well, it doesn't seem so. Because if you look in the Pasuk, at least the way it appears in the Psukim, it always seems that the reason they gave the child that particular name is because something that happened to them, something that affected them. For example, here in Reuven, the, the way it appears in the Pasuk, it seems to be that Leah was happy about what's going to be now with her and her relationship with Yaakov, and therefore she called him Reuven. So how does that explain what we just said according to Chassidus? 
that it's really about the characteristic. It's really about the personality. It's, it's, it's a representation of, of who Reuven is. Therefore, according to Yenah Shaltaira, Rashi had to go into all this detail to tell us, no, it's not about her thinking that she's going to get love. But it's about her thinking that she's going to be loved because of the characteristic. And he goes into the details of the characteristic and the personality of Hura Uvenis. And says the Rebbe, according to this, we can also understand something that occurs in almost every single year. And that is that Tess and Yud Kislev, which is connected to the Mitla Rebbe, the birthday, the yard site, and also the, the Chagagaula of the, the Mitla Rebbe always coincides with Parshas Vayetze. Typically, it's in the week, it's right in the middle of the week of Parshas Vayetze. What is that? We know that in general, it's explained that the difference between the Alter Rebbe and the Mitla Rebbe is the Alter Rebbe is a re- representation of the aspect of Chachma, which is really Av, which is really like the seminal seed of everything. Right? Chachma. The Mitla Rebbe he is known to be more, so to speak, what would be represented in the feminine aspect, namely Bina. It expounds. And we actually see it in their work. Whereas the Al-Terebbe had many, many Maimarim and revealed many, many secrets of Chassidus. But the Mittal Rebbe was extraordinarily uh, 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 deep and, and in the depth and the breadth of how he explained and expounded on his father's Chassidus. In fact, the, the Mitla Rebbe is the one who really brought the Chassidus down into the reality of each and every one. So to speak, like calling it in, bringing it into the character of everyone. And in fact, we see that because of the way he explained Chassidus and expounded Chassidus, he brought it to a point where like the, the, the Mitla Rebbe said that his wish is, and if he had that wish, obviously it was realistic. He had reasons to expect it. That when two Yungalite meet, what is going to be their discussion? What are they going to talk about? Not about the weather, not about the politics, but what they're going to talk about is Arichanatik. Some of the most abstract concepts in Chassidus. Because his thing was to bring it down to their reality, to bring it down into a developed reality of theirs. And that's the connection to this, almost like the mother is calling the name.